All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 298. It's Wednesday, it's April 27th. We're almost at the end of the month. Got a great one for you here today. Jamie Shanks has made his way back onto the podcast. He joined me years ago um, from Toronto, Canada, uh, as for a conversation. His book, Social Selling Mastery, that came out probably a decade ago, was one of the first books I read as a salesperson and really changed my perception. He's really the godfather of social selling and, and selling through LinkedIn. And he discusses it in his book there. And, and that's what really got me on the path of knowing that social selling was important, trying to get in there and um, you know, learning how to use LinkedIn, build a brand, uh, create connections with customers that way. He's a really insightful guy. He is currently the CEO of two different businesses, uh, both Sales for Life and Pipeline Signals. Pipeline Signals is more recent. And you know, we talk about a lot of different things. You know, one being the CEO of two businesses, how do you handle time management? Um, he gives a great uh, analogy, which I'd never heard before, called the cupboard theory, which helps you prioritize your time and get the most important things done in your life. And you know, that really made a huge impact on on me and how I'm thinking about things. Uh, we also get in the back half of the podcast talking about tactical tips. How do you use LinkedIn and how do you use your network? to sell more deals and hit quota easier. And we talk about how he even does that as a CEO now. So I hope you enjoy the convo. If you do, subscribe, leave a review, and hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm posting every day there, uh, Tom Malemo, about sales and growth mindset and things like that. So without further ado, here's me and Jamie Shanks. Let's go. All right, next on the Millennial Sales Podcast, we've got Jamie Shanks calling back in for a part two, coming in from Toronto, Canada. Jamie, how are you? Tom, great to have you. Yeah, great to uh, great to chat with you again, man. Um, there's a lot that's changed uh, in our, our lives and in the world in the last probably three years since we chatted. Um, it, now you're a, a, a two-time CEO, uh, I think at the same time. So I'd, I'd love to I'd love to kick it off there and just kind of hear a little bit of the origin story and, and what you've been up to in the last few years. So I've owned a global sales training company for 10 years. Uh, we invented and pioneered this topic called social selling, scaled a global curriculum. I was actually in our CRM, we're right around our 600th customer, um, uh, certified a quarter million sellers along the journey. And what's happened is to become certified in our program at Sales for Life, a seller needs to pick an account, plan it, engage it, and create a real life opportunity and defend it in a case study, kind of akin to the TV show Shark's Tank in you know, this kind of like public case study for your sales leader. Well, what happened was when you sit on a quarter million certifications, you start to notice these patterns that emerge. And the main pattern that we kept seeing is that sellers were using triggers or compelling events to book meetings and create opportunity, right? So you might have buying intent is a form of a trigger. Well, we notice this other signal we call relationships and relationships can come in three different ways. They're either come from your customer. So this is somebody who ups and leaves your customer base and goes into a prospect. They came from a competitor or you know worked with a competitor in the past and they go into an account. It's a bit of a yellow or red flag. And then there's a pending relationship. So there's a new job change or somebody gets promoted. 
And so sellers were picking up these signals and running with them and creating opportunity. So we noticed this and sellers kept asking us all the time, can you just do the work for me? Show, like monitor my accounts like cybersecurity monitoring, mine it for intelligence, and then deliver me these signals. And so we created pipeline signals, uh, started in the fall of last year of 2021 and scaling it and we raised capital and really scaling it up to be able to give this sales intelligence to you, this, you know, your listener, in your CRM as a task notification, as a pop-up to say, hey, John Smith left your customers. Now they're over at this account, which you care about. Here are the things you need to do to open up a door. And so uh, well, I'm interested to get to some tactical uh, advice on that. But before we do that, are you full-time CEO running both of these businesses? And if so, how the hell are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I am. Uh, so myself and a gentleman named Amar Sheth, own both companies 50-50, except at Pipeline Signals, we've raised capital. So 50-50 minus capital raise. Um, with Sales for Life, we've got that on kind of cruise control. So we have a delivery team and customer success and able to uh, work with customers. And so I've ported out of that business in day-to-day -day operations. Still nice to own it, but I've up and left. And now as part I am full-time CEO at Pipeline Signals. So what that has me do is, you know, for Sales for Life, I don't work really in it, I work on it. But with Pipeline Signals as a startup, I'm working in it and on it at the same time. Got you, okay, cool, that that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, I think um, I was just talking with with someone earlier today about, you know, leveraging LinkedIn for, for sales and, when I joined the sales, the B2B sales world seven or eight years ago, some people were doing it, but it didn't seem super prevalent. And I felt like I was even relatively early uh, compared to some of my peers. And now it feels like if you're not leveraging LinkedIn or you're not leveraging social in the right way, um, you have a, a serious disadvantage to your competitors, to the peers, to people that you're trying to, to, to compete with. Um, so walk me through a little bit about like, so how are you pulling that data straight from like LinkedIn and then it gets pushed into folks Salesforce or how exactly does that work? Yeah, so if you were to think of how the sausage is made, the step number one is our customers tell us what accounts in the world are, that they care about or what is your total addressable market? And that is the customers that you have, the customers that you used to have, the prospects that you wanna target and also the white space. So there might be verticals or geographies, but you don't actually know every account but again, people will up and leave your customer base and they'll go all around the world. Well, where did they land? So step number one, map your TAM and, and your key accounts. Step number two is we then connect into your CRM. Step number three is we enable you as the listener and your sales team. What is a signal? Why should you care? What do you do with it when you get it? So what we're doing is every piece of data, like if you look up your own LinkedIn profile, it's publicly available data. Just Google your own name. You can see it. But inside those bits of data is all the intelligence of where you came from, where you work today, where you promoted, how long you've worked there, keywords, your job title. So all of that can be aggregated. And then against any account in the world that matters to you, we sift, we take all the, the heavy lifting away from you. We sift through that data and say, here's the answer to the test. You know, I'm, I'm drinking out of a Yeti right now. Yeti is your target account. 
I can tell you everyone that just joined from another company was promoted or left last week, last month, last quarter. And if it meets your ideal customer profile, you have a task alert. So something that that's interesting to me is there's more and more signals coming to reps nowadays, whether it's from, you know, I used to sell intent data, it's ABM campaigns, it's leads for marketing. It's all these different things that were, you know, uh, you know, more like professional journey alerts, I guess I would loosely call it here. So let's say like I'm getting, you know, seven different alerts about, you know, Jamie, who I'm trying to sell to over at Yeti. Like, how do you, how do you prioritize what you, I can't use all of those in an email. I can't drop all of them in word vomit on my cold call. So how do you, how would you suggest folks like prioritize what's going to be impactful when you're reaching out to someone versus what's maybe just kind of noise? I think that as a seller, there's two things that you need to think about. First is that sales will never go away because you as the human being need to take in information to make informed decisions. And that all of these signals, even mine, are a piece to a puzzle. And it's for you to contextualize and make objective decisions around the most important decisions you will make account selection and account prioritization. Your time as a seller is the most valuable asset you have when you sell. And the minutes, hours, and days you spend in choosing account selection and account prioritization will completely determine where you end up one quarter or one year from today. So I would focus um, in recognizing that you might have six or seven different sets of data but your job is for each one of your accounts is to look at them and then you have to make an objective decision on which ones are need to need to engage today down tomorrow which can i engage within a week and which is nice to know and it's building towards a pattern of change in that business so that comes to then how do i tactically do it you as a seller and I've always recommended companies do this. Uh, I call it will. What does ideal look like? Take your last 25 deals, 50 deals. Ask, work with sales operations, rev ops to reverse engineer every successful customer you've had and look at all the different signals that come into your business. And there are three major categories, buying intent, product usage, and relationships. Those are the most common triggers or compelling events that will happen that cause change in a business. Look at your last 25 accounts or last 25 wins or 50 wins and figure out what was that pattern. And you will notice that there'll be some key stakeholders that were raising hands or Googling keywords and downloading eBooks. That's buying intent. You'll notice that your some most of those buyers all might use a certain software. They might use Gong, they might use Salesforce. And you're like, oh, we integrate perfectly with them. That's why they bought. Three, look just before, 90 days before they engaged you or in and around that time and after, how many key stakeholders came into your buyer persona around that time? You know, there was a new CMO that came in and they hired a market director of marketing operations. And that now, because people make priorities or people make change in businesses. Businesses don't change. People are the ones that set the priorities. So map how much of that change happened you will notice that those things have happened. See what the repeatable patterns are, and then you'll know, and this is what most of our customers know, 
that when somebody leaves your customer base and goes into a new account, you are so much more likely to open that door than to randomly cold call into business ABC. So focus in on those accounts. I hope tactically. So, yeah, no, I, I, I love that advice. And I feel like something that doesn't get talked about, at least from what I see on LinkedIn and other podcasts is the actual the prioritization and account mapping process. Um, you know, I, I, as a rep can also get in the, in the weeds too often where it's like you get, you have your calendar and you're prospecting and then you have your meetings and your follow-ups and everything else. Um, and you don't spend enough time actually kind of mapping out the actual territory. How would you, and maybe this is, I'm sure this differs maybe for the types of deals that you're, you're working on, but, um, do you have a general rule of thumb for how much time a rep should spend any given month or quarter? on just doing the prep work versus actually getting into the territory? So I'll set a, a context that for me, so sales for life is a, a five and a six figure transaction and pipeline signals is a four figure. So it's a $2,000 a month MRR product, but then that's a five figure ARR product. So both would be classified as complex B2B. So if you sell widgets and boobobs for $99, I have a lot less experience in that world. And our customers in both those companies do five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 figure deals. Okay. So this is all complex selling. So every, I'm a huge believer that every quarter you should be backing up and building a visual, a visual total addressable market map of your accounts. And we teach this at sales for life. We actually use a car transmission analogy, okay? And there's park, reverse, neutral, and drive. And we call it the drive map. And it's a pie chart. There are accounts that are in park, reverse, neutral, and drive. So you do this every quarter so that you can see the percentage of the pie piece is changing. You should be backing up and reevaluating why accounts are in reverse or in park and figuring out, do I care about them at all? Because if you're calling through your list of accounts because it's being pulled up in a sequence or a cadence, and you're just calling them for no real prioritization, you're kind of wasting your time. So that's the, the planning side. Then again, I'm a big believer of, yes, the machine, the tools you use are going to queue things up many times in order of operations based on your last touch point. Again, when you start getting a bunch of touch points in, back up and ask yourself, is this the best use of my time? What is going to make change in a business? There's either got to be buying intent, there's got to be alignment on product usage, and relationships are critical. There has to be change in the human capital in that business for priorities to go in and out of that business. Focus on those accounts first and restack your accounts based on that. That's, that's great advice. And, you know, one signal that you mentioned earlier was, you know, folks uh, that were, you know, uh, were working with your company that, that joined a new uh, account or were potentially working with a competitor and joined one of your accounts. And I think the first scenario, I think intuitively, we kind of know what to do, right? That, that, that's a warm lead. They know your product. Hopefully they like your product and it's pretty easy to open the door. What would you suggest if so you're working a deal, right? And you've got the different stakeholders and then all of a sudden Jamie comes in, you see on LinkedIn, he's the new VP of IT or sales or whomever you're selling to. And 
you know, he maybe used your competitor, maybe he was a case study or a testimonial for a competitor of yours. And you think you have this deal and maybe even have a forecast. Then all of a sudden, Jamie's kind of throwing, uh, you know, something in the mix here. How would you suggest navigating that kind of like trickier situation? Well, tell a story and then I'll tell you what I think you should do. So we, for years with Sales for Life, ran uh, a team-based workshop. So the workshop would be tables of, you know, six to 12 teammates. They'd be a mixture of SDRs and AEs and CSMs. They would pick an account, plan it, and build a go-to-market strategy for that key enterprise or majors account. So I'm doing this workshop, and this is a cybersecurity customer. And at the table, uh, this lady had chosen the account Harley-Davidson. So their table was working the Harley-Davidson account. 30 minutes in, she's sitting in the corner crying. Like this is like a, got a sales kickoff. I'm like, what is going on? She pulls me aside and she said, you know, based on all the things you've just shown me and what you can do in LinkedIn, specific around competitive intelligence, I feel like so silly. Well, what happened? For eight months, she'd been working the Harley Davidson account and she just couldn't figure out why she was getting these hitting blockers or just not getting any further. Well, they had just hired, it was either a new CISO or a new chief operating officer that came from their direct competitor in that business. Publicly available data on LinkedIn, you could clearly see that you have a, what we'll call a poison pill or detractor in this account. Such a detractor that they are the signing authority on these deals. So you could spin your wheels. And listen, I have had this happen even in my new company pipeline signals, I make this mistake all the time. I selling a deal, working with this guy, loves me from, from sales for life days. I want to bring sales for life in. We're about to do the deal. And he's like, oh, we use a competitive solution. Like, but I, I didn't eat my own dog food. I didn't notice. Guess what? It's on the case study page of my actual competitor. So the reason I tell that story is time management. So there's a study done by Topo that shows that of the 50% of sellers that do not make their quota, 83.4% of those sellers don't make it because of poor time management. Time is the determining factor of many times making or not making quota. And how you use your time is the most important. And the biggest time vampire is account selection and account prioritization. You can have incredible messaging. You could be using Gong with incredible cadences and sequences. But if you are deploying that into an account that with the ultimate decision maker spoke at the conference of your competitor, you are wasting your time. So deselection and deprioritization is as important as account selection and account prioritization. And the levels of of competitive intelligence you need to be thinking about the highest level if they leave employment at your competitor and become part of the buying committee within the company you're targeting i would i would walk over to your you know to your cro or whoever makes your your account plan list and i'd say let's have a conversation about this account i know you want this account on the list i don't think this is a good use of time and make a business case to deselect and deprioritize it. The second level of competitive risk are those that have overtly written on their LinkedIn profile, skills, certifications, projects launched 
with your competitor, I mean, they're openly telling the world, you know, I'm a Microsoft Azure customer. I love Microsoft Azure. Well, if you sell AWS, are you kind of wasting your time going into that account? So I, I know that was long-winded, but I hope it helps everybody understand that for every moment you spend in account selection and prioritization, there's an equal and opposite asymmetrical competitive advantage that your competitors have. And I would focus on deselection and deprioritization. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. I was doing an, an analysis uh, at the beginning of this year for the year that I had last year and, and doing some account planning and you know the 80 20 rule is is well known by by everyone for you know in sales and just in life and it, it was extremely true i had like 40 accounts and i hit my number on probably six of them and it's like well i probably wasted my time on the other 34. <laughs> i have now i am 43 years old and there is nothing in my life that hasn't been pareto's law and it's always you know if you look at most companies sql to close rate, it's 20%. And you know, some will get it into the 30s. We, you know, we fluctuated in there, but give or take, everything in the world is Pareto's law. One out of every five accounts you're looking at are going to do something. And so it's your job to try to use as best as you can all the intelligence given to you to make informed decisions on where you spend that time. So if we know that my um, management is one of if not the most important thing for achieving quota and part of that is making sure you're spending time on the right accounts but let's let's say we we've, we've nailed that at this point um what else throughout any given day or any given week would you be coaching a rep to make sure they're doing and, and maybe an example is like you know, i've heard folks say you got to set 60 minutes on the calendar every morning for prospecting you know if you're an ae um for some folks it's hey you don't leave the office or the, the virtual office until you followed up with every call that you had that day or until you map out your, your plan for the day. But anything like any hard and fast rules that you use personally or that, you know, the folks that you coach use? That's a great question. So the I'll, I'll tell you. And listen, I'm a CEO who still sells, so it's not like I'm so far removed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the part for me that's part of my daily routine I call it checking my digital voicemails. So what I mean by that is I'm putting, I'm a believer that not only am I doing outbound, uh, outbound motion, but of course I truly do believe, of course, as the guy who invented and pioneered social selling, I believe inherently in social selling. So that means that I'm sharing content and ideas every day. I'm, I'm making connections. Well, what's happening is some of those are reverbing back towards me. People are looking at my LinkedIn profile. People are in fact commenting or liking my content. So every single day, typically I do it twice a day, actually. I'll do it first thing in the morning. I'll hit those notification bells and I'll scroll through. Who's looked at my profile? Who's liked or commented on my content? Who's looked at my you know, Vidyard videos as an example? because it doesn't have to just be LinkedIn. It's, you know, it's all these forms of buying intent. And then I typically do it at the end of the day as well. To me, of all the things in sales that has stayed consistent, that's probably like, because it's my own form of buying intent. So I probably use it more than anything else. 
On the topic of uh, of time management, I saw a post from you a couple of weeks ago talking about the the cupboard theory that I never heard that before. I'd love for you to to share a little bit about that. So there's a post. Um, we were in outside of Montreal in Quebec. I, for any of your listeners, I'm a Canuck. I'm Canadian. So I took my family skiing at Mont Tremblant, which is an hour north of Montreal. And my daughter's eight years old, but is she, you know, she could cat and heli ski, right? So she's yeah. a one percenter on skis. And so I take her into the double blacks and I, I give her my, my beacon and we go out of bounds and all this kind of stuff. So the long of the short is a story um, where there's photos of her and she's pointing at the signs of all the double black runs at Tremblant that she's doing. And I talk about the cupboard theory and I'll first describe the cupboard theory and how it's affected me. The cupboard theory, cupboard theory, sorry, is you have a kitchen, you have a, you moved into a new apartment. How many, uh, can you see your cupboards from here? From where you're I sitting? I can see them. I can okay, see how them. many cupboards do you see? Uh, I don't know, roughly about probably 12. 12. I'll bet you, you just moved in. If you were to open each one, you have at least a pot and pan in every one of those. But if you had six in that same kitchen, you'd have the same, it's not like you sold or bought more pots and pans, you would have put them in there. If you had 24 cupboards, you'd fill it. So the concept is around time. As an entrepreneur, I've had a bit of a FOMO that every moment I'm not working, and I, I even had it like last night. I came home from the cottage with my son, came back to our house in the city, and I had this break from after dinner till like eight o'clock, kids wanted to take a bath or whatever. I, I was sitting there not knowing what to do next, but because I wasn't working, I felt lost, really lost. Every moment I'm not working, especially when I'm on vacation, I get this sense of I'm unproductive, but that's not actually the case. So as sellers, I've, as I get older, I'm trying to fight this urge to think if I'm not working, thus I am unproductive. I'm learning that I can be doing other things that are actually wildly productive. I, every night before I go to bed, I read. I listen to one book every week. For 52 weeks, I've been doing it for four years. I listen to five or six podcasts on rotation every week. And so I'm actually learning and improving, but it doesn't mean that my laptop's open and I'm sending a prospect email or I'm calling. So for your listeners, the cupboard theory is just because you're not in the act of prospecting doesn't mean that you're unproductive. And cupboards, think of them as hours in a day. If you are only allotted three hours in a day, make all the outcomes that you need to achieve fit within those three hours. If you have 14 hours in a day, make it fit within 14 hours. I, as a CEO now of two businesses, a family of two, I've got two houses. I travel a lot. My window of prospecting and window of like really productive work is smaller. Well, things that I started to do is I, I'm up at four or five in the morning. I had to extend my day. But because I have smaller windows, I have to make them wildly more productive than before. So I hope that was, was a little long winded, but the cupboard theory is when you first start in sales, you've got all day, you've got eight to 10 hours. You got nothing better to do as an SDR all day, every day prospect. 
but then you'll start to build a pipeline and you'll have to do follow-ups and first touches and discovery calls and and you're going to have to learn to maximize each one of those pie pieces the cupboards don't grow and your pots and pans will have to learn to fit in each one of those time slots i love that do you um <clears throat> excuse me do you do any sort of kind of like personal and professional you know, we're talking about like, you know, account prioritization earlier. Do you do any sort of like consistent goal setting or life prioritization or anything like that, that, you know, at the beginning of the month and say, Hey, here are the, the three things that have to get done for sales for life this month or for my family or my travel or all these different buckets that you're trying to fill. So, um, it all starts and, and this is everything you do is a reverse engineering from goals and outcomes. So um, there's a great book uh, by Jason Jordan. It's a sales management book. Actually, it's now maybe five to seven years old, but it'll be a great analogy to how I'm gonna phrase this. You've got goals, sales objectives, and then like sales actions and activities. The only thing you can control are actions and activities that highly influence the objectives. Think of them as like rocks or milestones that align to the goals. So. In each business, we follow the EOS model. EOS is Entrepreneur's Operating System. They each business has five-year goals and has kind of like three-year kind of mile markers and then an annual goal and then quarterly rocks. So every business is in these one-page spreadsheets where I know, and there should be no more than three to seven rocks in a quarter. So for your listeners as a seller, there's probably three to five things that you should be focused on the whole quarter. From there, my daily routines and weekly routines are built into those milestones. I get up every morning at 5 a.m. I do the same, it's maybe because I'm becoming an old man, but as you get, I know this is the millennial podcast, I'm Gen X, but you will discover the importance of a routine is the foundation to it all and i am you know at my computer working because i have employees in the philippines india and bangladesh between 6 45 and 7 a.m every day i am doing these things and i have windows of time for customer calls prospect calls um, i block times i don't talk to outside customers and prospects on mondays i fill it with branding podcasts like i'm doing today so you get wildly consistent and I'm a huge believer in time stacking. So there's certain days of the week that you do discovery calls and certain times you do prospect calls and you'll learn about your own body. For me, I am incredibly productive in the morning. By four o'clock, I'm like mumbling and can't talk because remember, I'm up at four or five in the morning. So I do all of my business development, all of my prospecting, all of my big important calls in the morning. And so you design your life that way so that you're not doing demos at 5 p.m. when the buyer's half asleep and you're half asleep. Um, so these are the things that I've done. And like, I make sure that I time stack. So I do demos, 30 minute demos, back to back to back. I give everybody these windows. I'll do a 10 a.m., a 10.30, an 11, an 11.30. I get all my demos in one spot. So I'm in the groove of telling the same story. Like today, I have four podcasts back to back to back. I'm telling similar stories. 
Yeah, I, I think that's really powerful. And, uh, you know, for folks that depending on where you are in your career, if you're just starting as an SDR, if you're an AE, if you're a manager, if you've got a side hustle, you got other, you know, other things going on. I think, you know, I'm, I'm taking notes over here because I feel I, at times I put too much on my plate and, uh, and then let, let certain things fall off. So I, I love, you know, some of the tips here. You mentioned, um, you know, some of the books and, and podcasts and things like that. We're big learners on this show. So I'd love uh, if you might start on the book front, anything I'll, I'll that here. I'll, I'll make sure I'll open up my audibles. Let's see. Now, here's the thing is, so for years, I listened to sales and marketing books, as you can imagine. And then, so what I do personally, I have two styles. Okay. So podcasts, I listen to in the shower every morning books. I listen to on my walks throughout the day. And then I read biographies at night. That's just like my routine. Like right now I'm listening, I'm reading an, an old classic shoe dogs, the Nike CEO. Love it. Yeah. And the one before that was the one on Patagonia. So I love hearing like other entrepreneurs story stories, but each one has kind of a purpose. And for me, I listen to podcasts and read books typically on my weaknesses. I'm, I found as I was in a seller and then a new CEO, I was listening to a lot of sales and marketing books, but then I became really strong at that, but I kept reading them and they weren't topping me up as much. So what I started to do was look at my weaknesses and as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, my weakness was financial acumen. So I started reading a lot about P&Ls and balance sheets and capital raising and capital deployment. Now I'm learning about another weakness. I've never been strong at the HR side of entrepreneurship. So culture and leadership and communication. So that's long winded way of saying, I don't have a lot of great sales books on here, but I have an endless supply of, of business books. So it depends on what you want to know. I, I'd love to hear a couple of the top business books and a couple of the top bio. I, I love biographies as well. Shoe Dog is top five favorite book probably for me of all time, but any others that stand out? Well, a new one. So I'll try to uh, leave them to the new ones. So okay. if you want to listen to the story of uh, Frank Slootman, he's the CEO of, of uh, Snowflake, was the CEO of ServiceNow. If you ever inspire, aspire to be a CEO, so he is not a founder, he is a drop-in CEO, repeat offending you know, drop-in CEO. Yeah. Incredible at it, obviously. So his book, Amp It Up, is really good. Another one is Atomic Habits. So I constantly am looking at my habits of, again, things I can control. I've been monitoring my sleep for four years. I've been monitoring what I've been eating and vitamins, my exercise. Again, as you get older, these are the things you get into. It's incredible. Atomic habits, like the littlest things you do to yourself make a big compounding efforts. So those are the ones that are like popping up. The rest of them are bored ready to tears, but I think those would help. That's, I, I am not uh, rushing to read any about uh, P&L statements, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the Frank Sleepin no, one not. sounds great. Uh, and Atomic Habits is, uh, it's, it's an amazing, that was actually what I was thinking about when you were talking about the entrepreneur operating system. Um, is that from a book too, or is that 
I've heard that before. Yeah, so you can listen to Traction. There, okay. okay so, yeah, there's Traction, and then there's Rocket Fuel. They're all written by Gina Wickman, which that's where EOS comes from. Okay. And how about podcasts? What do you listen to? So my podcast routine. So actually, this is pretty set in stone. Let me go to browse here. So my library is every Saturday morning, I listen to the All In podcast. Um, I listen to every day to Nathan Latka. Every Saturday morning, I listen to Built the Cell Radio. So this is an important thing. So sales for life, lifestyle, professional services business, cash, you know, just like a cash flow machine. Whereas Pipeline Signals is a scaled up SaaS software company that is obviously meant to be built to sold, to be sold. So I listen to Built to Sell Radio. I have every week for three or four years. I listen to Saster, typically a couple days a week. Um, every once in a while, if you want to be inspired by new ideas, I listen to My First Million. And um, then there's a couple podcasts that have been a little fickle about coming on and off, but it's how I raised it, how I uh, how to raise a round. Uh, I also like um, the 20 minute VC. Again, I am learning to about capital deployment, capital acquisition as a CEO. How how different have those two experiences been of of operating kind of your you know, you, you built a business around your own kind of intellectual property uh, with sales for life. And, you know, you have these clients and it's kind of a cash flow business, like you said, versus a SaaS business where it's like, we just need to get into hyper growth mode and, uh, and get to, you know, a certain valuation and to, to sell or, or to have an exit. They're very different, uh, yet I don't see them as, so they're wildly different business models, as you can imagine, but I'm more focused in on really focusing on uh, what made me successful and what made me fail. I, for every one great idea I had at Sales for Life, I made 99 really stupid mistakes. So I've been documenting those and really focusing on objective decision-making, slowing down to speed up, building more robust plans, focusing more on HR and communications and culture. Um, so those are some of the things I'm bringing forward, but then there's some fundamentals that never change. A business is really simple. Bring customers in and give them a great, like focused, focus on that great customer experience. I know that sounds cliche, but when you own a services business, you inherently are really good at listening and working with customers because that's what a professional services firm does. So I believe that what we're doing really well is handholding customers, enabling them, listening to them. This is the nature of professional services. Mm, love it. Uh, I got a couple more uh, rapid fires for you. Uh, on our last go, you hit me with a quote from uh, a Rolling Stones song, which just so happens to be my favorite band. But what, uh, what do you listen to uh, from a music standpoint? I don't know when you're working out or uh, maybe you don't. Every year, other than the years during COVID, for I don't know, five to seven years, my wife and I, on her birthday in May, around the Kentucky Derby, go to Nashville. We hit the honky tonks, <laughs> and it used to be we became country fans for forty-eight hours, right? Yeah. But you know, we have a cottage, and we sit on the lake, and country music kind of sounds great on the dock. So I'm that guy that somehow has been slowly converting into a country fan. I love it. I love any artist in particular. So one that we love, like we listen to, my kids are getting into wake surfing, listen to an artist called Nico Moon. 
and he's right. got this album that's it's kind of like is if like sublime and country music came together okay great music in a boat i love it um you talked a lot about uh skiing and and doing things on the lake and, and being outdoors is that kind of like your go-to hey i'm gonna get away from the laptop to recharge and, and have fun like is that is that the main thing or anything else that you do is kind of a recharge great so um i've really learned as i've gotten older life work-life intersect and if they are not intersecting you are not balanced my routine i do not work on a saturday ever on saturday so pre-covid i was on 80 flights a year for five years in a row i'd be in australia hong kong dubai you name a place i would fly home from wherever i was in the world to be home on friday night i always on saturday we're up at the cottage water skiing wake surfing whatever it is but i work a full sunday and so i give 24 hours like uninterrupted it's board games and sports and that kind of stuff like and that's the only way that's helped me recharge i need six days a week you know running businesses but i need one day where it like business doesn't exist and i it's like uncompromising will not break that i love it i love that rule um maybe my last question for you um i need to know who would you want to see come next on the millennial sales podcast i'm sure you've had um have you had john barrows and team come on i i've had john on and i've had morgan on yeah but, john and morgan i was thinking yeah yeah They'd be great. Have you had Steve Richard come on in a while? I haven't. I don't think I know Steve Richard. Steve Richard, he started Voresight, very famous sales training company. He yeah. started Exec. Oh, well, here's the thing. He started Exec Vision, competitive okay. strong. Okay. But <laughs> he's, I mean, he'd be awesome for your audience. Whether or not you guys want him on or not is another thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well I'll, I'll have to I'll have to run that through the marketing team. Um, but uh, certainly, John John's come on. Uh, Morgan, uh, huge fans of them as well. Um, so that that's great. Um, yeah. Jamie, before I let you go, obviously you got a lot going on. Um, wanted to see was there anything we didn't touch touch on that you wanted to get to, and uh, would love to just hear like what what's the best place for for folks to get in touch if it's on LinkedIn. I don't know if yeah. you're hiring or uh, anything like the that. Doing too. All of the above. So, yeah. uh, so we're in the midst of hiring uh, customer success right now. So cool. uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. My name's Jamie Shanks. I think I'm the only Jamie Shanks on LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I look like this. And then at the same time, uh, go to pipelinesignals.com. We'll be able to help you actually monitor and mine all those signal intelligence at scale and or sales for life if your team wants to be enabled on social selling. Love it. Jamie, appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. Take See care. You. Bye. Thanks for checking out that episode. Start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers uh, wherever you're listening here uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Alemo, uh, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.